They are ancient words. The average Christian prays them every week in worship, and perhaps you pray them on your own. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The words roll out with rhythm, like they have been written on our hearts from the beginning of time. They are spoken in every language, sung to many tunes. This Lent, at Second Presbyterian Church, we're taking our time with the Lord's Prayer, breaking it down week by week in a sermon series called Pray Then in This Way. May this experience help you more fully embrace the prayer we already love. Join me in prayer again. Holy God, may your word and spirit reach us, unite us, and reconcile us. Amen. Throughout Lent, our sermons have been based on the Lord's Prayer. Now, we did not anticipate a worldwide pandemic, but we've stuck with the sermon series anyway because we believe that we need to be guided by this prayer, perhaps now more than any time. The prayer offers perspective in drawing us out of ourselves and calling on God first, and then guides us to pray for others, and to pray for the whole world. The prayer focuses our attention on what to pray for, for God's will to be done, for God to provide what will sustain us in these unusual times, for God to work reconciliation among us, and for God's goodness to be made known on earth. And Jesus saying, pray then like this, reminds us that even as we gather information and take precautions and practice social distancing, We are to return again and again to prayer so that we remain grounded in hope as we remain in communion with God and with each other. Listen for some of the guidance of the prayer in the reading of our brief passage. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The Word of the Lord. Pray then like this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now many passages in the Bible could speak to this theme of forgiveness, but I've chosen one that is actually connected to the Lord's Prayer. The passage that I just read is what Jesus says right after teaching us the prayer. In fact, F.L. Bruner pointed out, I didn't realize it before, but the only petition in the Lord's Prayer to which Matthew's Jesus adds commentary is this fifth one, this petition to ask God to forgive us as we forgive others. Forgive us our sins is the only petition that Jesus thinks that he needs to explain further or, more to the point, drive home. He doesn't need to say more about God's name or God's kingdom coming to earth. He doesn't need to say more about our asking for daily bread or our being spared temptation. Forgiveness, evidently, is something that Jesus thinks that we need to really think about. Is it because forgiveness is the world's greatest need and thus what most needs prayer? Is it because that 
Forgiveness is the most important thing that we're to be about as Christians. I do think both are true, that the reconciliation is the world's greatest need, and reconciliation is the most important thing that we are to be about as God's people. We are, after all, spiritual descendants of Abraham. Abraham's world is one where different tribes, different races are often in violent opposition, and sometimes, frankly, they're trying to exterminate each other. And God calls Abraham's descendants to be his people, not to take sides in the world, but to work through them to bring blessing to the whole world. That blessing is reconciliation. Or think about this as Christians in the season of Lent, the 40 days before Easter. Lent is when we prepare for Holy Week, the week that begins with Jesus coming into Jerusalem, being welcomed by a crowd, waving palms, and then leads through his being betrayed by one disciple, arrested at night, falsely accused, wrongly convicted, physically brutalized, executed on a cross, buried in a tomb, and then raised from the dead. And when Jesus is raised, the great cosmic question is this. Will God seek revenge? Or will God forgive those who are complicit in his son's death? Will God seek revenge because of the terrible things some people have done to treat each other and the way that people have treated God's earth? Or... Is mercy going to be God's final word? Now, of course, I know that in some sense there's no drama, really, in asking this question because we know that Easter is coming. I imagine there might be folks worshiping with us online who are not all that familiar with the stories of Jesus last week. At least I hope that's the case. Anyway, you should know that while Jesus is dying on the cross, having been treated with cruelty, he prays this prayer. Father, forgive them because they're clueless. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you need to know that when Jesus returns from the dead, he makes breakfast for his disciples who abandon him, including the one who, to save his own skin, denied knowing him. Jesus lets those disciples know. He lets those who let him down know that nothing's changed. God still has a purpose for them in the world. So there seems to be no drama here. Easter's news is that we're good with God. We're forgiven. We only need to worry about forgiving each other, right? I don't want to surrender that faith assumption. The foundation of my faith is that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that we know in Christ Jesus our Lord. That God's love and grace are sure means so much. And it means so much right now when we wonder how long we're going to be separated from each other in this chapter of social distancing. We need to know that God is near us, that God is with us, that God will not abandon us. Still, there's, there's a struggle here, isn't there, after we heard what Jesus said. I want you to join me in that struggle in understanding what Jesus means in our passage. For though I believe that reconciliation is the world's greatest need, and though I believe reconciliation is the most important thing that we're to be about as Christians, I don't think we have grasped yet 
why it's so important to Jesus to say what he says. Let me remind you again what it is that Jesus says when he drives home the point that as we ask for forgiveness, we should forgive others. For if you forgive others their wrongs, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you your wrongs. That's unsettling. Have we just discovered a crack in the foundation of faith that is the unconditional love and grace of God? You know, after we first announced this sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, a church member came up to me in the back of the sanctuary. He said, I'm so glad you're going to give that sermon series. I just hope that whoever preaches on forgiveness will say something about God not forgiving our sins if we don't forgive others their sins. For me, that's the most disturbing verse in the entire Bible. Because to be honest, I have a hard time forgiving some people of some things. I knew when he said that, that I had to preach on that passage today. Because it's true, it's challenging. Listening to what Jesus says, it's as if the unforgivable sin is to be unforgiving. Matthew's Jesus later tells a parable that seems to say the same thing. He tells the story of some guy who owes the king some unpayable debt. He owes millions. He only has thousands. And the king basically resurrects him from his financial grave. He forgives him his entire debt. The very next day, this man with a new life then encounters someone who owes him only a day's wages. It's not much, but more than the guy can pay. And the one who has been forgiven so much will not now forgive the one that owes him so little. And he has the guy thrown in jail. And the king finds out and has the cruel ingrate thrown into jail as well, left there to rot until he can repay what cannot be repaid. Forgive us our unpayable debts, Lord, but only as we forgive the unpayable debts others owe us. It seems that if we expect God not to let our sins stand between God and us, well, then we cannot let past wrongs stand between us and others. I've thought about this a great deal, not just for this sermon, but over my entire ministry. Indeed, over my entire life. Because I find it hard to forgive sometimes. And I have to tell you, in my life, I've been caught up in those fairy tales of the world being righted by revenge as anyone else. I mean, think of all the blockbuster movies that deliver the emotional satisfaction of evil ones getting what comes to them. From comedies like The Sting and Trading Places to almost every action-adventure movie I've ever seen, the emotional payoff is seeing the scoundrels get what's coming to them. Those movies portray the revenge fantasies on a large scale, but they reflect this private, personal fantasy that we have that doesn't always or doesn't involve mayhem necessarily. It's this fantasy that we can make things fair or we can make things square. We don't necessarily think that wrongs make a right, 
that punishment should be worse than the crime, but there's this desire for this eye for an eye, a measure for a measure, or do unto others what it is they did unto you, that if things could be squared, the world would be righted. But you know, rarely in life does it work out that way. At least not for people with a conscience. Not for people with an awareness that if we hope to live by grace, that we have to show it. For as emotionally satisfying as fantasies of revenge can be, the actual reality of it can be devastating. The perfect sarcastic retort can haunt a relationship for a long time. The silent treatment given another to punish some perceived offense can chill a relationship that's supposed to be warm. Relationships that are built by grace where each delights in the other can take a turn, can't it? Where the rules change, where anger starts noticing and cataloging every affront. Earlier I spoke of comedies and action-adventure films that tell the emotionally satisfying stories of revenge. Consider now those movies and stories that we would call tragedies. Tragedies explore the dark side of our fantasies. I hope that out there in the online world, sitting before a computer, that Margot McCord or Alice Lofton, Laurie Saunders, and the other members of our faith community who have shared with me their appreciation of tragedies are now nodding in agreement. Tragedies explore the dark side of our fantasies that come from our delusions of strength. And the fantasy that is most often exposed in tragedies is the fantasy of revenge. In fact, I have a hard time thinking of any famous tragedy that doesn't involve revenge being part of the problem in some way, being part of the reason why things end so badly. I offer one example. It's not a Shakespearean tragedy, but another blockbuster movie. The director and star of the movie is well known for his fantasies of revenge. Go ahead, make my day, is what Clint Eastwood said in the movie Dirty Harry, giving a twist to the stories of the spaghetti westerns that made him famous. Eastwood directed and starred in the movie Unforgiven. My father loves telling the story of my recommending that movie to him. Here is how he described his experience of watching it. It was one dreadful sequence of ever more senseless violence. It was awful. He called me and asked me why I had recommended it to him. And he loves telling people how I responded. Dad, you need to watch the movie theologically. He burst out laughing when I said that. I got to admit, he said, it never occurred to me while watching that bloodbath of a movie to think theologically. You know, he may have laughed at me when I said that, but I want you to know that he thought about it theologically later, and he later preached a sermon that some of you with Herculean memories might remember, for he preached it when he was the interim minister here 22 years ago. He talked about how the movie betrayed violence in a realistic and not a romantic light. And then he reflected on how the story is about retaliations that lead to greater and greater acts of revenge beginning with an ill-timed giggle 
and leading to escalating violence and killings until an entire saloon is littered with dead bodies. The whole point of the movie can be summed up with an exchange between Mr. Mundy, the Eastwood character, and a hired hand. The young man, miserable after killing someone for the first time, says something to make himself feel better. Well, he had it coming. To which Mr. Mundy says, we all do. That's a truth many of us know from experience. Retaliation won't heal you. And neither does holding and nurturing grievances and anger against another. They are relational viruses that often won't go away even when we create social distance by trying to cut that other out of one's life because as long as the anger and desire for revenge remain, so remains in your head and your heart the one who offended you. You can't think of that other without that sudden rush of spoiled adrenaline. And some moment you might be in, even with others that you enjoy, can be robbed of its delight simply in bringing the thought of that other into mind. Let's go back to what Jesus says after teaching his prayer. I think the best way to get past this idea of an unforgivable sin being not being able to forgive others is to draw on the Lord's prayer itself. We want on earth what is in heaven. On Easter, we proclaim heaven's cosmic truth that nothing, not even our inability to forgive, can stand between us and God. But in life here on earth, we know that what Jesus is saying has truth. The grace and peace of God feel somehow denied to us when we nurse grudges and when we act in revenge. It may not be true all the time. It might be true only within moments or only within the realm of a particular relationship. Within the divorce that cannot get past retaliation. Within the broken friendship that can't get past the betrayal. Within the country that can't seem to get past its delight in political attacks within places in the world where races or tribes or factions go beyond insult to injury, beyond violent fantasies to violent actions. There is a lingering hellishness. It can be relational, spiritual, legal, Political, but it's hellish. And Jesus wants us to be spared that. He wants us to be spared that, whether it's world large or personal small. We do find it hard to forgive sometimes. And so Jesus has taught us pray for that ability. Pray for what you cannot always manage on your own. If I could soften what Jesus says just a bit, but without losing its meaning, I suggest that Jesus is saying, forgive others as a way to live into God's forgiveness. For unless you learn to do that, you have no idea what God's forgiveness is all about.
The simple irony of our faith shows itself yet again. In forgiving others, we think that we're giving up so much that in letting go of hatred and resentment, we're giving something away, something that has nursed us and fed us and given us energy. We're giving away our fantasies of revenge. Oh, how good we are. (laughs) But what we're really letting go of is hellish and destructive. And what we gain is something on earth that's in heaven. Indeed, that is something to pray for. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.